0: Welcome to barnyard language we are katie and arlene an iowa sheep farmer and an ontario dairy farmer with six kids two husbands and a whole lot of chaos between us so kick off your boots reheat your coffee and join us for some barnyard language honest talk about running farms and raising families
1: in case your kids haven't already learned all the swears from being in the barn it might be a good idea to put on some headphones or turn down the volume while many of our guests are professionals they aren't your professionals if you need personalized advice consult your people are here. We both had showers this morning, which feels like an accomplishment. And Katie just asked if I had eyeliner on, uh, but that's makeup that I wore two days ago. So you can see, even you can't see, but you can hear how fancy we are here this morning. Good
0: morning, Katie. But, but Arlene, that's some pretty pretty good makeup if it's been 2 days and you showered and it's still on your face. Yeah, or I it's just didn't where it started out. Yeah,
1: or I just didn't do a very good job of actually washing my face, which is probably more likely.
0: Well, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. Okay, sure. And I mean I had to shower because it's, you know, when you get to that point that you're not sure the last time you showered.
1: That that's I- when it's yeah, time. Yeah. yeah. Kind of like kids, right? In, when was the my, last time you had a bath? Yeah. I think today's the day
0: yeah yeah um in my defense because i know you're about to ask what's happening here the boy child started puking uh friday night and and now it's monday morning still puking yeah so it's been since at least friday since i had a shower it's not normally that i will happily just go that long without a shower but you know when when you're the mommy of a small puking person your presence is required at all times. That's right. Um, Jump into action at any uh, moment. Yeah.
1: So that answers the how was your weekend question then.
0: Long, long. um, Because, two, we were supposed to go to Trunk or Treat yesterday, uh, but it involved a bounce house. And somehow, even before he puked again, I didn't think that taking a kid who had been puking a bounce house was necessarily a terrific Probably idea. Probably not. And, and then he spewed and that was done for. But, yeah. So he's home today. He's in the living room playing tractors and watching Kratz Creatures. So... Nothing else has happened. I don't know. <laughs> got I mean, it. Probably stuff has, but I don't know. Yeah, we started. That's the main. The process. guys started combining yeah. corn, so that's something. That is good. Um, yeah. How are things at your place, Arlene?
1: Well, we got snow this morning, which I didn't really want to believe was happening when I went to the barn. But then when I left the barn, there was a tiny bit of accumulation on the ground, so I couldn't really deny that it was actually happening.
0: I was gonna say we got snow Saturday, but it was like eight little pellety things. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a, Yeah, there's nothing happened. I'm
1: sure but. that in probably in the next hour or so it's gonna disappear. But yes, there is a bit on the ground and enough that I felt like I'd needed to go and look for some snow stuff, so of course you don't plan ahead for that kind of thing and so I was searching through coats and knits and boots i found in one of the kids my youngest in his bin of stuff which i keep in kind of in the mudroom which in theory would be a good organizational technique right you just pull it down and there are the gloves from last year there were four left-handed gloves and no rights so i have no idea where the the right hands are so that was less than helpful
0: i have literally an entire tote of gloves and hats and things to wash and try to to resort but yes I went to the farm store last week and literally bought three pairs of heavyweight mittens and one pair of lightweight mittens for each child um because you know there's the school pair the farm pair and the school pair that ends up on the farm and that's right it's disgusting yeah and then they need the extra pair
1: for in the backpack because one gets wet at first recess and then when they go out for second recess they've got wet hands
0: yeah, and then this morning we got a reminder email from the school that snow pants are not just for when it's snowing, and they are expected to be at school this week, which would be fine if my kids had snow pants or boots. Right. So if you need me today, I will be ordering snow pants. <laughs> yeah, boots. for next. Thankfully, coats for, still fit. Yeah, hopefully but, for
1: next day delivery. Yeah, I think yeah, I think boots yeah. is on this on the is it the plan for this afternoon? I do need the the child's feet to actually try them on. Um, I found some for this morning, but I, they won't last the season. So I definitely need to get some before, uh, before the stores are out, which is the frustrating thing that we've talked about before with kids' clothes is by the time you need them, they're already almost sold out because somebody is more organized than us.
0: Yeah. Well, and that's the thing I already passed down all of their last year's stuff, because despite the fact that it still fits now, it won't in December yeah. when everything is sold out. Yeah, exactly. So they're just going to wear everything a size too big. Until December, when they will grow again. Yes, exactly. Um, in my defense, the girl child has been asking for Tylenol a lot, saying her knees hurt, and has been eating uh, three meals at each meal time, just plowing through it. Jim measured her two weeks ago, and she had not grown since the last time we measured her back in like August or whatever. I measured her Saturday, and she had grown a full inch. So apparently she is just unfolding. I mean, <laughs> yeah. it doesn't seem physically possible, but we did just measure her. Yeah, she's doing, so, doing
1: a stretch. Um,
0: yeah. So in my defense about why we don't have clothes that fit for anybody, I wondered why all of her pants got too short, like, all at the same time. And now we know why. Yeah, so, that does
1: check out. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so we should we introduce our guest for this week? I suppose we should. So we start each of our interviews with the same question, Sarah. This is a way to introduce yourself to our listeners. So we always ask, what are you growing? So for farmers, that's usually crops and livestock, but can also include businesses and careers and family.
2: Yes. Sorry, the connection is a little choppy there but what am i growing so my answer to that would be um certainly not uh not currently crops or vegetables anymore um but uh i would say i am growing community and young female leaders in rural parts of montana which feels really good doing that i'm doing a lot of community development work not necessarily by intention um but certainly by result um of of my many varied projects and uh Additionally, also growing some empowerment with with women and some s- traditional skill based courses we do, so um, a lot of it is very female centric and rural community centric
0: so Sarah, where did you grow up then?
2: So I was born up in New Brunswick, Canada, and where my folks had started farming um but then we moved back down to family farmland in rural Connecticut, so a little town called Cornwall, Connecticut, in the northwest corner. Uh, my grandparents had a dairy farm there. And then my folks actually got into llamas. So I was able to grow up on a farm, luckily, with lots of woods to play in and lots of livestock around.
1: Sorry, everyone is home in my house today. So I'm just texting people trying to get all the teenagers off the internet. So we'll see if this helps with the connection, if I can get everyone else off the internet for me. Um, So in terms of your background in agriculture, Sarah, did you work on any farms as a teen or anything or was it more just like a a childhood thing and then you moved on from ag or was it something like did you do the 4-H thing or any of those kinds of of activities as a kid?
2: Yeah mostly it was primarily just helping on the farm here Um, but when uh, we actually didn't have 4-H around this community which was surprising. I, I was involved with FFA at my high school but I ended up going more in the the leadership and public speaking area of of FFA, which was fantastic, and is actually still very relevant today. Um, and then after after college, I I did spend some time um, woofing down in Central America, the Willing Workers on Organic Farm Program, which was fantastic to just be able to travel and farm and um, <clears throat> and keep getting my hands dirty. But it was it was certainly one of those things that I think the things that I have taken away from the farming life, so to speak, is um not only the the small business ownership and entrepreneurship and the work ethic, but but being in rural ag communities really makes a difference. Um and the the lessons I've learned about good neighboring and how communities can pitch in. And even if you don't like your neighbor, you might have to work nicely with them and um respect them. So so those are the things that I've, I've leaned into more from ag communities that from a, from a bigger picture of, um, of livelihood.
1: For sure. So you ended up in Montana. So what brought you there and what has kept you there? Cause it sounds like you've done a lot of traveling, but, but settling in a place sometimes is it is, it takes something special to keep you if you're a, a wanderer by nature.
2: Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah. So after college, I studied environmental science and then, uh, Wanted to save the world, certainly, but that turned out to be a much larger <laughs> challenge. It still is. Um, and then right after school, I started instructing for Outward Bound. So I would take students uh, in the woods at lengthy trips and start to teach them leadership and the hard skills and um, again, kind of a group bonding for me. And then uh started doing trail crews as well. That brought me out west. I had never been to Montana, but I was saving it as a a place I'd always wanted to spend some time. Um, so after my last trail crew in the Cascades, I uh, I decided to just move to Montana. At this time, I was considering starting my company, Red Ants Pants, which makes workwear for women. And I had spent about five years um, in the backcountry or farming or whatnot doing uh, just wearing men's car hearts because that's all that was available at the time. This would have been back in 2003, 2004 and um uh, chose bozeman montana initially um spent about a year there made some great connections met some great mentors and then uh moved up to this very small ag town because i really wanted to be back in a small community um based around agriculture and um the certainly the the landscape is so iconic and Romanticized in its spectacular country, and there's something about the big sky that really allows you to to dream and think as big as you want, um, which I, I appreciated and still do. Um, and so I found this little community of 900 people, and it's a classic old ranching town, and it used to be mining and logging, and ranching's always been a part of it, both sheep and cattle. And um, it just felt like a good place for me to be with the kind of culture I wanted to be around, and um, kind of work ethic and you know the flow of the pace of the seasons and all the different egg transitions by you know, calving to branding and haying and
0: shipping and all the all the rest. So been a good spot. So Sarah, I'm really interested in what you said about having neighbors that you don't get along with, but still having to to work together. Um, as someone whose small community is going through a bit of a rough patch with the whole idea that you know living in community doesn't mean that you have to be best friends but you do have to at least um how has it been for you to to move in as a, a newcomer to a town of 900 and how many generations do you think you'll have to be there before you're not a newcomer anymore
2: yep and it's funny i i think a lot about this cuz i i where i grew up here in Connecticut there there were um you know the calhoun's went back to the early 1700s and Um, there's a Calhoun cemetery and my great grandfather built the stone library and you know everywhere you look it's Calhoun and um but in Montana where I'm from the east coast which is kind of a almost as bad as being a Californian in Montana um you know you move it there and you know I was 25 and single and here I you know was able to purchase a very affordable but beautiful historic saddle shop on main street it's a pants shop and where I lived for years so I was very I didn't go unnoticed coming into town right so what is this person doing here and um and what is she gonna uh, what is she gonna bring what is she gonna say what is she gonna think of all this and and I think it's 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 a long game certainly but um I did the only thing I knew how to do I just I just pitched in and started coaching volleyball and volunteered as an EMT on the ambulance and worked at the arts council and got to know the ranchers and helped out at all their um all their cattle drives and such and it was I think over time people like all right she can, she's not so bad she's She's pitching in, um, but it's, I couldn't have, so I think I've, I have felt accepted over the years for sure. Um, it's, I'm never going to be a local and I'm never going to be a fifth generation rancher, obviously. Um, and that's, that's just how it goes in, in these places. But, uh, but when it comes back to the neighboring thing, it's, it's interesting in that, uh, you know, I, th- I think, especially being so remote and I imagine where you guys are too, um, you know, our next town is a hundred miles away and it's really not a matter of, do like each other it's like you are going to need your neighbor and they're going to need you and there's there's times where it gets pretty serious you know when we don't always have the resources or the infrastructure to for emergencies or whatnot so, um and growing up here there there was a pretty bad tornado that hit uh, our town and it kind of devastated our farm when i was 10 and just seeing how the community pitched in uh, that sort of just people taking care of each other and just giving everything they could to to make sure everyone's um uh, doing okay so that's a that's a beautiful thing that I've seen parallel across all the the small towns and rural communities I've lived in
0: so what was the inspiration for your business and how did you start that
2: yeah so the pants company again it was I just did not have pants that fit and um, you know men have curves and they don't fit well in the square pants it's just not it, it's functional and I knew there were other plenty of women that were out there actually doing work, manual labor and such, and um, didn't have proper workwear. So and I did not have a business background. I've still never taken a business course in my life. But I talked to some other companies and tried to get them to just start a line and no one was really interested in it. One guy was like, well, if you're serious about it, why don't you start your own business? And I was 25 and super naive and was like, start a company. How hard can that be? You know, I had no idea what I was getting into. Um, so my first step, I bought a copy of uh, small business for dummies. Cause I needed to learn how to write a business plan. Um, and I, when I moved to both, I was actually reading that book at a coffee shop the very first weekend in Montana. And a guy noticed, and got to talking and it turns out for 20 years, he had done production and design for Patagonia, the, uh, the clothing company. And I was like, well, that's a, I think I'm supposed to be here at this moment, you know, kind of a fateful intersection. And, uh, he took me to a shop a week later, gave me loads of contacts and advice. And he just said, Sarah, I think you're onto something big here. I think you need to move on this now. Uh, and he's been a top mentor and is on my board of advisors to this day. Um, so so started building up from there and just really trying to do my homework as best I could because I had a lot to learn. Um, so I spent about a year simultaneously designing the product, working with a pattern maker who I like from remotely down in Southern California Um, to get the right fit, working with textile mills to get the right fabric in, finding manufacturers. Everything is made in America and still is to this day, um, which is both excellent and challenging and expensive. Uh, And, you know, at the same time, deciding what the name and the logo and the branding and the marketing and developing a website and trying to secure financing and setting up the business structure and all of this was happening while I was working part-time, peeling logs and grooming ski trails and sewing backpacks. I was learning some experience on the floor. Um, so just trying to make ends meet because I was fully bootstrapping this. Um, and then after about a year in Bozeman, um, it was just too big a town for me. And I I had just read Ivan Doig's book, This House of Sky. I don't know if you're familiar with Doig. He's a fantastic writer of the American West. He had grown up in White Sulphur Springs, and that was his memoir, This House of Sky, I read. And I was like, oh, White Silver Springs, that sounds like a, a neat community. And I went up and visited and decided to put out the shingle
0: and call it home. So why aren't work pants made of denim? Why is it so hard to find women's jeans that are not, like, legging weight or covered in rhinestones or both? Yeah. <laughs> this is... It's mm, a great question. This might be the constant discussing for today. Yes. Yeah, with no fucking pockets. Yeah, or they have pockets, but they're like two yes. inches deep, yeah. so like, I can you, keep you feel here. like you could put something in there, but then, yep.
2: yeah. Until I pull my pants down, and then it falls off every time I go yeah. pee. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's so designed around, fast fashion is just hideous, and so not focused on any functionality, as if women don't need to do work or anything functional, for that matter, other than look good. Um. We can get hold that off for later, but. Um, so I, we chose to do a, a 12 ounce cotton canvas duck, um, similar to a traditional Carhartt that is, um, it just is more durable for longer times. As far as denim, there are some companies certainly doing some, some denim, the, the whole manufacturing and apparel and textile world is a lot. Um, and it's, it's hard to get, I mean, you know, with me starting there were, even if you had, uh, you know, found the perfect fabric you wanted. You know, some of these mills are you have to, you know, your first order minimum would be 100,000 yards, which is obviously not where I was starting or even where I'm close to today. Um, so finding the right quality, the right suppliers, the right um, price and the right minimums is is not easy, per se. Um, so there's but there are some there's some good denims out there. I would assume I haven't gone down the denim road very much. It's it is very much aimed toward the fast fashion world. Um, you know, and then and then you you at the end of the night with after a new pair of jeans and you're like, why are my hands blue? Like this is not good or healthy for anyone involved. There's a lot of you know environmental things around fabric, um, dyeing and that sort of thing as well. So it's a it's a big hairy world in apparel. Um, and I, I do not I am not an expert by any means, but um we found a good US mill we're working with now. I used to import our fabric, our canvas from India, but again their minimums bumped up through covid so we've been working with a a great u.s mill with u.s cotton Um, but again it's harder we're we're left to to use kind of dead stock from other runs of other fabrics because we just can't hit those minimums of a hundred thousand yards so
0: yeah it's i think one of the most frustrating things in life especially if you're not a you know like a, a sample size six or whatever is when you finally find a pair of jeans that is worth owning and then they discontinued them. this happened to me a few years ago and i I honestly have not quite emotionally recovered from it yet. <laughs> I, I it's real, and it's no one likes trying
2: pants on that's universal. no women do anyway um and it's it's tricky with and that was well, was one of our tenants starting the company too is that i um even great brands like Patagonia they would you know they don't, i can never fit into Patagonia pants. I'm a size fourteen or sixteen depending on the brand and you know, often these these companies only go up to a 12 or a 14 if you're lucky. Um, there is a lot of size inclusivity coming now too that's trending, which is fantastic. But but from the get-go, I, I made it a principle of Radiance Pants that we're going to have from, so we have a 27-inch waist up to a 42-inch waist. So that's that's up to a size 22 in women's. Because um, I, I, we come in so many shapes and sizes and we all work hard and we all need something to fit, and and it kills me when there was a woman that came in. She was a mechanic at a Helena, I think, and she asked if we had a forty-eight inch waist, which is, um, you know, they we don't we did not carry them that high. But it was, um, it's tricky. It's really hard to find the things that fit and um, and function well.
0: Well, especially it feels like workwear designers, especially, really assume that plus-size women don't actually leave the house at all. Um, you know, and if you're over maybe like an 18, you've probably never actually gone outside. And I'm like, well, I don't, I don't know if you've ever been to the Midwest, but there are plenty of, uh, ample size women out busting their asses doing and in plenty of other places too, not just the Midwest. But, you know, we, uh,
2: absolutely. We actually had a, um, John Deere magazine did a spread on us a couple of years ago and we had a whole huge order run from from the Midwest and we did see a size trend actually of um, more of the curvy cut and more of the larger sizes which was fantastic because we want to we want to find those customers that need the pants you know Um, and we have you know and we do custom hemming on ours as well and we have we have 74 sizes in just our our one run original work pants so it's a there's a lot to choose from but it's but it's also tricky from a business model standpoint because you have you know that's why retail stores they only carry the bell curve, because that's what they're going to move on the shelves. I mean, we have some pairs of, you know, 42 by um, 35 inch inseam that have been probably sitting there a couple of years on the shelves that that don't move very quickly. So it's it's tricky because I I, and this is where I stumble with um, being the CEO of a company that, you know, has to make the bottom line to exist. But I really want to make value based decisions versus profit based decisions. And, There's gotta be a a way to figure out both those things. So that's what we're working on now.
0: So speaking of your curvy fit too, I really appreciate I was looking at your website last night actually, and your clarification of straight fit versus curvy fit and that it's not whether you have curves, because I've seen a lot of clothing that, you know, straight cut is for size fours and curvy fit is for anyone over a 10 um, and that you clarified that at least in your line it is waist to hip ratio which is nice and as someone who's I'm guessing about the same age as you and who also wore a lot of men's car hearts for a lot of years you know if they fit in the waist and the hips then the legs below the thighs are just you know enough room for three of you but they're still tight in the hips and the chest is huge through the back and tight in the front and it's just it's really nice to see such an emergence of women's workwear for people who do actually leave their houses for whatever they're doing outside
1: can you describe some of your other products too because i know you have more than just you know i mean you i'm guessing you started it with your your kind of flagship pants <laughs> And uh now you've expanded into into a few other things so can you tell us about some of your other products?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So the the Radiance pants the original work pant is their signature product. We have added a GSD pant which has a a lighter weight pant with a touch of stretch which I will say is fantastic as we're getting a little older. Um that is the GSD called the that's the get shit done pant. Um we also have a line of shorts in both those different fabrics which are which are selling really well. Um our leather belts are all handmade by a wonderful woman in white sulfur, actually, who does all the hand stamping of our ants and stains every single one. Um, and then we have the belt, the brass buckles that, um, that go with those that are cast down in Colorado. We make uh, work aprons out of wax canvas that are really functional, as well as our wool vests and our work shirts have done really well. Um, just having a, something that's designed well, again, with a longer tail in the back, um, a little shorter in the front. Um, enough bust room and uh, hip room, so you're not just in a straight jacket. Um, the wool vests are fantastic, and the, certainly the work shirts. We're trying to lean more into those right now. We have a lot of branded stuff: hoodies and t-shirts and hats and that sort of thing, all still made in U.S. But we don't do our own manufacturing on those. Uh, we partner with brands like Stormy Cromer for those great um, Scotch caps for the winter. There's wool hats with a brim. Um, so lots of good, lots of good makers across the board.
1: And since you didn't have enough going on just running a business, you also started a foundation. <laughs> so can you tell us a little bit about that and why that was important to you? Because it seems like you probably could have kept pretty busy just, you know, on the the business side of things, but you're also trying to to give back. So I'm really curious about that.
2: Yeah, great question. So in, let's see, so I started the company in 06, uh, spent about five years trying to get it going and and boost sales. And this was all um, direct to consumer, so I don't sell through wholesale accounts through retail stores. It's all like, like I, you know, got an old airstream trailer, was pounding the pavement, at doing pants parties all over, all over the country. But what was really fun is with that tour to pants, we called it. We we got to really get to know our customers face to face, and go do farm parties and visit folks out in the industry, and really got to hear their stories and recognize that there's so much we're celebrating and bringing together, and wanted to do that certainly with some pants. Branding and marketing, but with uh with all of that excitement rolled that into throwing of all things a music festival in a cow pasture in white sulfur um this was and this was in two thousand and eleven our first year of that um and it blew up in a way bigger way than we expected. Six thousand fans arrived that first year, and this was um that tripled the county's population like it was absolutely insane um and with the start of this event decided that oh if we can do a music festival maybe we'll use the proceeds to give grants out directly to either another nonprofit or um something we really feel excited about when i started looking i realized there was not necessarily a a nonprofit that was exactly what i wanted it to be <laughs> so again uh, not having any experience in Nonprofit leadership started at 501c3, which is no easy task in itself. Um, and that's the Red Ants Pants Foundation. So the festival was our first program and is still our main fundraiser for our foundation. And this nonprofit is in support of women's leadership, working family farms and ranches and rural communities. So all the things that that I love. Um, and it's been really cool to see what we can do with a nonprofit. And um, and also having the, you know, so the Pants Company as a separate LLC that I that I own and manage. And then the nonprofit is run by a board of directors that I'm currently the ED for. Um, And so this festival has taken off in a huge way. It's we just had our 12th annual event. We've had headliners like Moral Haggard and Wynonna, Brandi Carlisle, Tanya Tucker was our headliner this year. Just super fun. A lot of classic country and Americana and some blues. Um, And it's really fun to, to bring people to a very rural ag town. And and show them what's what's possible and what's happening, and um, uh, so that's been really neat,
1: right? Yeah, so small business, nonprofit, and major event planner—no big deal, right? Just like you just never sleep, I think.
0: <laughs> so, as NAG podcast, we're always curious about ways that nonprofits are working towards preserving family farms and ranches because it feels like it's an easy thing to say, but it can be really hard to. Define what that actually means. Um So what are some of the grant recipients doing with the help you've given them? Or what are, what's, what's happening with it, I guess? See, I've totally, it's vacation. It's just done me in. Huh. No oh, worries. Well. Um So,
2: so with the proceeds from the festival, we've been able, able to gift over 160,000 to directly to different farms ranches communities organizations whose projects parallel our mission um and that's really fun and we're we're only scaling ourselves up to be able to escalate that number um so what what we what we do with just direct money out the door some of our ag grants have been something as simple as helping helping fund new corrals or refrigerator for you know an organic farms um farm stand type thing for their fruits and vegetables um is, you know It's like direct impact of infrastructure is one area. Um, another, another one we're starting to see a lot of uh, increases, which is awesome, is um, a, a lot of rural farmers markets, um, helping fund those, as well as community gardens everywhere, which is great to see. Um, and then the area that we're, we're leaning a little bit more into the, how, how do we support not just a direct farmer, but have a broader impact with people, um whether it's a community based event in a rural community or um be able to touch more more people in the public um in a more charitable way across the board, but we're seeing a lot of um different harvest festivals and ag based events that bring community together, which I think is a major part in what we need as a culture to start healing and keeping the, that neighboring really strong so um I think there is one Gallup on the high line who um Grew up there was it, this is a little town called Chester Montana and there 30 years ago they had had a harvest festival for decades and it had died out and she just brought it back and she's in her mid 20s and um and this, they're heading into their second season of it now which is just so neat to see that kind of stuff that does bring the community together um there's a a beef beets and barley festival down in Warden in eastern Montana that we just supported um, and then another thing is figuring out how do we support um, women in agriculture, which, uh, as we know, there's some, it's just, it's isolating, right? We're, we're all so far apart. Um, there's a great program actually called, uh, women in ranching out in Montana that is now its own nonprofit that we've helped support. And they get, they do these retreats with different women in ag, um, to get them together, these women's circles. There's also the, just like ladies night, ladies in ag night in Hardin, you know, these, these really remote communities where they just get folks together, um, and then another element which is cool we're seeing is there's uh, there's places where there's different art and photography and storytelling. Um there's one in particular in eastern Montana that was um it's called Blue Jeans, like basically women in blue jeans and looking at like the women's stories of women, you know, the, the rancher's wife or the farmer's wife out um that was actually working and wearing jeans, you know, over the centuries and what they're telling those stories, which I think is another area where it's really need to support some some efforts there to to get those stories out there, because as we all know, women are not only um doing all of the farming and ranching as well outside and all of the manual labor chores, but you know the family and the house and the home and the cooking and all all the things so um I think those stories are really important to tell.
1: yeah, so at this point, are your funds focused in Montana, or do you have a bigger geographic area in terms of people who can apply to to get those funds through the foundation?
2: Great question. So we're currently just focused in Montana, but we're um, we're seeing a lot of momentum and certainly a need and a demand much much further afield. So we have our work cut out for us as a board to really do some strategic visioning and figure out where we can where we can scale, what makes sense. How do we continue our fundraising so we can support this? And um, an additional project we're doing this year is a needs assessment across all of our 110 grantees to see. It's great if we just give you a check, but what else can we do to support you so that it's not just drop and run? And we can, you know, building out uh, like almost a rural institute and different, different courses and trainings and leadership and facilitation and grant writing and just and also just connecting through our network across the state of our social capital and how do we connect with these resources? Because there are great resources out there with different USDA and state and federal programs, but but access to them and or having the time or capacity or understanding of how to apply and how to follow-up there's there's a lot of things out there and I think uh, I think we can act as a good connector between those so um, we really want to dial in what this looks like in Montana and and I would hope that we'll be able to expand beyond the northern Rockies yeah
1: yeah that's really important because you're right that the isolation means that sometimes we think well that program's not for me or I don't yeah I don't have the capacity to apply so I just won't even bother but if there's someone out there who can say you know I can help you with that. Or, you know, you you send me some of the files and I'll I'll fill out the grant application for you. Like those little they seem like little things, but that is what can help yeah, it can help someone move to the next step in their business or or really expand or do the thing that they that they can do best when maybe this the paperwork <laughs> isn't isn't their top skill, right? So I know you touched on this a little bit already at the beginning, but as a parenting podcast, we're always curious about how people's upbringing and their childhood experiences shaped what they do with their lives. So what parts of the way you were raised do you think have led to the way you live your life now and your your success and the way you want to
2: connect to your community this way? Absolutely. I think the role modeling of both my parents and grandparents that were the dairy farmers of just seeing what pillars they were in the community, um, taking care of one another. And also, I mean, farming is it's small business. It's entrepreneurship. And you can come up with any creative idea and if you can pencil it out and get the marketing behind it or production or, you know, the service, whatever it is you are selling, there's ways to to make it work. And it's, um, I think that creativity element um, was really good to see in action. And my mom was brilliant at marketing and was really involved with a lot of education in the llama world um, back in the 80s and um, a lot of leadership on that front. And uh seeing seeing all that like anything is possible if you can dream it up um and also you know being in an era where you know my mom wanted to go to vet school, but two women were allowed to go to vet school at that time, you know at cornell or whatnot um and I you know in my generation, born in seventy nine I think you know we certainly have different opportunities now as women of what we can do and 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 having that encouragement from family and and seeing it in the community, the role modeling of um the sky's the limit. We can we can go for whatever we can dream up as long as we work our butts off.
0: So, Sarah, you actually came right into something that I'm adding to the script on the fly here. Um, one thing I'm really struggling with myself, you know, is I was born in 81, so we're the same generation, that now that we've got so many amazing opportunities to do anything we can think of, how do we empower ourselves and younger women to say no to stuff. And, you know, talking about encouraging entrepreneur. <laughs> I don't know if Sarah's an
1: expert in that.
0: Based on the, what We'll we give her the benefit of the today. doubt, Arlene, that she's <laughs> lived to regret <laughs> yeah, maybe some of the things no, she something said yes once. to. Um, you know, our next question was actually about encouraging entrepreneurship with our kids, which is something... My husband and I have been talking a lot about, you know, we both come from farm families. I come from a very entrepreneurial family and how to encourage that if it's something they want to do, but discourage this whole like, oh, if you have a hobby, you should be making money at it. Side hustle, side hustle, grind, 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 you know, be busy all the time, be productive all the time. Everything should make money. So how do we balance that? Because I'm finding a lot of You know, inspirational content on Instagram one came through the other day about, you know, if you can't keep your house clean because you're doing this or you can't do this because you're doing that. And I just thought, you know, what if we just started telling people, what if you don't want to do X, Y, and Z? What if it's just not a priority? Like, you know, I've been talking to my six year old a lot about what priorities are and just how do we just give people permission to not do the shit they want to don't want to do? So they can wear their getting shit done pants to go do the shit they do want to do. Yep,
2: exactly. It's a great question, and I do predictably struggle with that daily. Um, And I think, I mean, certainly a part of our culture, right? Like, you know, if we were in Europe or places where they value siestas or summer vacations or not working and just you can keep getting ahead, and capitalism is not healthy for any of us. But, um, but here we are in it. So until we can change that whole paradigm. How do we sustain ourselves, right? So we don't burn out, um, or end up in the hospital, or whatever it else it is. Like the stress of all of it is is certainly too much. And we can talk about self care all day long, but or work life balance, or da da da. But the reality is, we have to inter internally figure out what our priorities are and how to manage ourselves. And um, and the where I get stuck, and I think a lot of us as entrepreneurs are. It's uh, it's always exciting the next new thing and. And what I find in especially a rural community is if there's places where my skill base can be helpful and utilized and I want to I want to pitch in and do all that. And it's hard. It's really hard to say no. And uh, what I'm trying to learn to do better is really identifying where to to be able to spend my time on doing the things that that my skill set is really well matched for um, both with with skill and experience and knowledge and or things that I just really enjoy. Like, I could talk about rural community development with anyone anywhere and be thrilled about it and just recognizing, like, oh, that's actually what I'm really good at, which I would not have thought that was my skill set necessarily getting into all this. But, um, you know, in the creative side or the whatever it is that we love, um, setting ourselves up within our work, within our community commitments, um, with our families, even what what how do we because we're going to be doing better as humans if we're doing the things we're gifted at and we all have gifts. It's just finding them. But then also figuring out how to, you know, and there's obviously things we all always have to do, even if we don't like it. But, um, but if we can get more in the lane of what we're really good at, um, that's a beautiful thing. And it takes time to find that and to get there and to figure out how we can get rid of all the other noise. But um, that, that I think is, that's my current objective.
0: Oh, and see, there's like, there's more to this question too. Um, so as part of the foundation, you have a mentorship program for girls. So can you tell us a bit more about that and what inspired it and what your what your goals are for that?
2: Yes, absolutely. So to frame this out um, from before, so of our four programs with the foundation, we have the music festival, which is our biggest and burliest, certainly, um, and reaches a lot of people, right? Like we have 15,000 that come every year and we can touch a lot of hearts and hope. And then we have this grant program we spoke about, and then our third program we brought in was our uh, timber skills work skill courses. So these are four day uh, chainsaw and carpentry classes for women, which are so much fun. I mean, there's there's gals. There was one woman who turned seventy on the during a chainsaw course. It was the first time she had ever picked up a saw. Um, But all types come from all over the country and fly in and just spend spend some time learning some traditionally intimidating tools but but what we're seeing is super interesting in that they are coming even more so for the fellowship in the community connection with this other group of women there's 12 students per course and it's all taught by four instructors and um that togetherness is really important so that's been neat to see and we also just added trailer backing as a course which is fantastic with <laughs> saving managers you know marriages one boat ramp at a time um, but then our yeah, it's hard, right? It's it's. I mean, it's a very learnable skill, but we just need time and space to learn it, where we're not getting yelled at by someone else to tell us what to do,
0: or we're not running yeah. into our own barn. <laughs> exactly. Well, and if I'm assuming other families are like mine too, that if you're trying to learn something and your husband or your partner, or whoever is trying to teach, you and your kids are standing there, maybe your father-in-law is standing there, the neighbors are driving by real slow, watching you. Yeah.
2: Exactly. Right.
0: I'm never going to learn something that way. That's no, that's that's not a great, great situation. It's not
2: the, not the best environment. To no, learn it's not. No. <laughs> um. So then, our fourth and uh, most recent program, we're actually heading into our sixth year, our sixth cohort is this Girls Leadership Program, um, which is so very exciting to see what's possible and the ripple effect with all of it. Um. So this is aimed at again rural. Montana girls entering their junior year of high school. So, we only accept eight students a year. They are paired with a young professional mentor. Uh, and then it's a, it's a whole year long in depth leadership study. So, we look at things like mind styles and personality styles and conflict resolution, identity and your own voice and all the different types of leadership out there. You don't have to be loud and um, you can be quiet and creative as a leader. There's lots, you know, so much diversity and all of that. Um, so, it's three weekend long retreats throughout the year. And we all come together in person, which has so much wonderful power, and they learn all these skills, get to know each other really well as a cohesive group, and then they each independently are working on a community project back in their hometown as we go through the the years to practice these skills on the ground. Um, so neat to see what they're coming up with. And uh, and then really excitingly building an alumni program for all of these graduates to build like a good old girls club so they have each other as a network professionally and personally and for support and connections and whatnot throughout their lives which is awesome to see so we've put a lot of work into this really intentionally on the ground building it with a lot of dedication looking at you know the data of what are what are rural girls really needing and um, and making sure there were gaps in the programming across the state that we're not stepping on toes and um, it's been phenomenal to see and I think I think that we are onto something here. Uh I just as far as I mean, these are the kind of things every student should be learning in high school, but we don't necessarily get that chance to to learn about our own limiting beliefs when we're 16. And um, I didn't learn about this stuff till I was 40 in a fellowship. And then and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, yeah, this this is what we need to set these gals up for success in life and be really, really impactful leaders. So it's been it's been really fun to, to see the impact. And it's it's really designed around developing hope for our youth, pride in our rural communities and strength and courage in our leadership. Those are our guiding lights.
1: That sounds amazing. So often we talk about succession planning in whether it's in rural organizations or in agriculture. And yet, what does that actually look like? Right. That that looks like actually stepping up and, and teaching our kids from a young age what it is they're capable of and and giving them that support and not just looking around and being like where are the young people well (laughs) if you if you don't provide them with those opportunities then they're going to leave these communities so yeah that's amazing yeah and
2: building the pride right so they yeah maybe they want to go off for school or do some travel experience some other things gain some perspective which is fantastic but but figure out how to build the pride so they will want to come back and start their families or take over the farm or just make it a a prideful thing that it's it's not like, oh, you're stuck in your hometown. It's like, no, I'm choosing to be in my hometown.
1: Yeah, that's right. Or you might move somewhere else and bring those skills with you, but you can still be proud of where you came from and that your community built you up and, and gave you the skills to succeed somewhere else. And that's fine too, right? We don't all have to stay where stay where we started, but that doesn't mean that we can't look back on our, our childhood and youth experiences and think that that place built me, right? I
0: think it's so important, too. I mean, Arlene's kids are all older than mine. My kids are five and six, so we're not quite at that point. But the opportunities that mentorship gives teenagers, especially because, you know, we're saying, well, why aren't the young people out here connecting with the community? But we don't give them any opportunity or skills to talk to adults who aren't parents, teachers, or employers. You know, we're not, we're not valuing their input, and then we're complaining that they're not giving us their input. I'm like, well, you know, it's the same as the, the whole, well, you know, kids today can't write in cursive and can't drive stick. And I'm like, well, did we try to teach them those things? No. So we can't really bitch about the fact that they don't know how. You know, and it's the same thing with talking to adults or making a business plan or whatever that, you know, if you're not giving them the opportunity to try it and to practice it, you can't complain that they're not doing it. So, Sarah, what are some of
1: your future goals, either for the business or the foundation or um, yourself personally? Can you give us a a sneak peek at who's headlining next year for the festival? If you know that already, Uh, what's what's coming
2: yeah, I actually, I don't know that yet, but we will have that. I'll start booking next month in October. But um, so, yeah, we'll we'll continue carrying on the festival. And that's always the last weekend in July. You are all invited. Um, and it yeah, sounds amazing. Yeah, I think. But now, like I mentioned, doing some strategy around how to scale and expand our programs on the ground, because we've really we've got them fine tuned to a, a place where we know the systems and processes and we have great staff in place, but do some capacity building and, and how and where do we to remove this a little bit further just to have broader impact with more people um so that's exciting with all of our programs um i am trying to figure out next steps for the pants company to make sure that i honestly would like to it needs some someone who can have some leadership directly with the company and not be pulled in all these directions so um try to transition out of that personally and just to be doing a little more of the creative side and not so much the the nuts and bolts um I would love to get some of these stories written down. I think there's there's so many great circumstances and characters and, and stuff that's been going on in, in rural Montana that I would love to just make sure that we capture the stories and maybe put a book together at some point. Making time for that has not been happening lately, however. Um, but another one of my, my fun side projects, which actually becomes my main, it's where I'm living, but I uh, love bringing back historic buildings in rural areas and have an old I was very lucky to stumble into an old historic mansion that the Ringling Brothers used to have as their summer home in White Sulphur that's now a kind of a social club and a boarding house um, also where I live. So that's that's been fun bringing that back to life, as well as an old rural church that we're using as a music venue and a place to gather and do dances. And I think more dance halls in all the all the towns is really important just to keep the the people coming together as people Yeah. So that part is good, and and again, keep building our network in this rural institute, and see where we can go. Staying in my lane, doing what I'm what I'm good at.
0: I actually, Sarah, I lived in Bozeman for about a year and a half. Oh, nice! In uh, 2000 and 2001, and one of the things I miss the most is going dancing because we would go to uh, Little John's Bar. If you ever got that delightful experience. <laughs> on Wednesday nights because they had um 18 and up western swing which was you know I was underage and didn't have a fake ID and it's it's not something we do in Iowa western swing is there's no midwestern swing um but you know the the community building of things like that and especially of dancing like Contra dances or Western Swing or anything like that, where it's not just um I'm trying to think of any polite way to describe. It is uh better for those of us who lack the coordination for more independent uh direction. Let's put it that way. So and also I miss all the cowboys in really starched ironed shirts because i think there's a lot to be said for a man who can iron that's all i'm gonna say about that but it is a skill (laughs) so we ask all of our guests if you were going to dominate a category at the county fair what would it be and categories can be real or made up to ensure that you dominate it Mm,
2: yeah i put some thought into this one that's a great question um it wouldn't be anything i could grow very successfully but i think um I were to make up my own category, it would be a persuasion booth. Much like a kissing booth, but, or a, you know, free advice booth type of thing. But I, I, that I would say is kind of my, my secret skill is being able to talk people into, you know, let's have a festival in the middle of nowhere in a cow pasture and don't you want to come and don't you want to play music and, um, don't you want to come work this and volunteer and, um, and getting excited with enthusiasm and that creative edge to really talk people into doing things that, that will benefit them with being part of something larger than themselves and worthwhile. But um, having having that persuasive skill, I would say, is my, my secret strength.
1: That is a great skill to have, for sure. Especially in a small town, right? Because, you, like you said, you, you need each other, so... If you uh, want someone to work security or to uh, <laughs> clean up campsites after the festival or things like that, you uh, you need your persuasion hat on for sure. So we'll go ahead and move into our cussing and discussing segment. As listeners know, they can enter their cussing and discussings on our speak pipe. So go to the show notes and click there if you want to leave a voice memo or send us an email at barnyardlanguage at gmail.com and we will read it for you. Katie, what have you got to custom discuss I'm gonna this I'm going to go week? with
0: people who don't value their local communities. Whether that's you know a, a small town like ours, where a community might be basically everybody, or if it's just your you know just your church community or your kids' class or whatever. Um, I'm on the, the board for a community daycare, and we're struggling with some folks who have really forgotten what the community part of a community organization might involve and it's really frustrating to to see folks not value something as incredible as a healthy thriving community can be and how crucial learning to live in community is to me in how I'm raising my children and I Sarah I really resonate with what you said about You don't have to get along. I don't care if we're not best friends. That's fine. You know, I have plenty of friends. But you can respect people and you can respect their energy and their time and their contributions without holding hands and braiding each other's hair. You know, but if I can teach my five and six-year-olds not to be rude to people, even if they don't like them, adults should be able to do the same thing and that is yeah we uh we got an email about the faces on some of the board members i'm like honey this is just what i look like but anyway i'm sure i'll cut that out
1: i think is i think especially when it comes to that it's also the valuing things in the community even if you're not going to benefit from them right Maybe your kids don't go to get daycare. Maybe you're not going to have children. Maybe your kids are grown and out of, out of town, whatever. But you still need to, to look at what that, those community services are offering other people, right? You know, just because I don't access services for the elderly doesn't mean I don't value them. I might someday or people I love are going to need them, right? So we have to be able to support all the parts of our community for what they serve each other. Even if we are maybe we'll never benefit from something that's being offered, but if someone else needs it and it's important to them, then we need to, to be able to value it and support it. And, and even if that doesn't, even if that's not through time and money, at least through just that element of respect, right? To say, I'm not going to put that thing down. I mean, it's not for me or I, I don't, I don't need it necessarily, but I can see that it has value to other people. So I will
0: respect that that is a thing that is required. That's a great point, Arlene. We had a local business donated a substantial amount of money, and the owner doesn't have kids in daycare, none of that. And he said, you know, we don't want a town full of stupid people, and early childhood education has been shown to improve outcomes. You know, and things like we donate to the fire department because it's a volunteer department, and we hope like hell that we will never need the benefit of having a fire department, but you support them because having a fire department is good for the community. Having schools is good for the community. You know, even if you don't have kids in that school, raising people who aren't dumb is good. (laughs) It's so Sarah, what would you like to cuss and discuss today? Is it teeny tiny pants pockets? Yeah, that too.
2: No, I, I, it's actually along the exact same line. I had a, I had a great meeting last night. Um, a local guy who is mid-20s, grew up on a farm here. I'm back home in Connecticut right now, actually visiting the family. And um, he had reached out. He's been out to the festival to help out and just this great family, very hardworking. He's also on the fire department and the ambulance and just the kind of useful people you really hope stick around in a a rural town as next generation farmers. And he has had this great idea to start a cidery on the place. And he has some apples planted already and peaches and Um, but but you know getting the orchard going building a barn more of a farm store with like a one-bedroom apartment and then a a very small tasting room like maybe six or eight stools you know um and this is and so he's going through the whole process with uh with planning and zoning and has to get all the permits in place which he's doing but he has gotten some major pushback from uh, a neighbor who is worried about noise and drinking and driving that sort of thing but Again, this is a cidery tasting room for eight stools. Like <laughs> it's, it's not going to be a roadside biker bar, right? Um, and we were just talking about the, the. In some of it's just comical pushback, and and what what it looks like to me, because I was so excited about this idea, and I'm going to write him a very thorough letter of support for the for the town committees. But um, like we, even if you chose to retire in this beautiful bucolic farm town where you really appreciate. You know, the dairy barn and the cows in the pasture from your wealthy retirement home. That's great. You can have that lifestyle, but we are not going to have that lifestyle unless we can support our farmers and the young people that need jobs and need places to live to come into our rural community. And we need the fire department and the ambulance and all these things are just, um, I, I think that's my, my bitch part is we need to think beyond ourselves and put ourselves in other people's perspectives of, of what maybe is essential to build a whole community and what this looks like collectively Um, and also having some longer term vision of where it's going to go. Because if um, because right now it's there's no one, no normal um, earning person could ever buy property here. And some of these places are it's just it's just ridiculous. And we have to we have to think about all the all the folks coming from different types of backgrounds if we're going to have a diverse and sustainable, beautiful community.
1: Yes, absolutely. I I love those, you know, like I, I get the point behind zoning and I think there's a lot of good that comes from having policies and, you know, regional, you know, expectations of what we want development to look like. But then the nitty gritty of that sometimes is just so frustrating. You mean, you know, the role the rules that are intended to help us end up, yeah, creating creating things that really don't make sense in the in the long run.
0: So, Arlene, what do you have to cuss and discuss?
1: So, mine is completely unrelated to uh, community building or any of that kind of stuff. Mine is a personal one, and we're recording at the tail end of summer. We've got a few days left of summer vacation, and my kids will soon be going back to school, and... Everyone's been home, so I've got four kids and a husband, and we, my husband and I both work on the farm, and so everyone has been around every day, all day, for months at this point. And I'm cussing myself because I keep doing the thing where everyone else goes to bed, and I stay up late because I need like a little bit of time by myself, but the alarm still goes off at 4.30 for me to milk cows in the morning, so I'm just cussing the exhaustion that is like always catching up because the teens stay up later. So I stay up later and then I never get enough sleep. So next week when they go back to school, this will come out later on. But by the time this episode comes out, maybe I'll be rested again because I'm going to uh, pick up napping during the day again when they're in school because I need to actually uh, get enough hours <laughs> of sleep some point in the day. They don't all have to be together. They just have to be, uh, add up to something that will let me continue to live. So, Sarah, we want to thank you so much for joining us today. It was great to talk to you and learn about all the many things that you're doing in Montana and all the the ways that you're supporting your community. If listeners want to find out more about you, the festival, buy some pants, uh, look at the thing the foundation's doing, where should they go to find all of those things?
2: Yes. So for for pants product, for workwear for women, uh, redandspants.com. And we actually do have a 15% off for any of your listeners the code is Barnyard Podcast Pro P R O, fifteen um, percent off there. Thank you. We'll put that in the show notes too. Absolutely. And then uh, for all of our foundation programs um, through the nonprofit, that's Radiance Foundation org. And then for our festival info, Radiance Pants Music Festival com.
0: I'm going to go ahead and propose that we have a uh, barnyard language gathering at the music festival next year yes at the festival yeah no matter who's headlining well exactly and then arlene this is how we're going to convince our husbands we're going to be like it's not that we just want to go to montana it's (laughs) for the fans that's right you know all like two of them that it might show up and the
1: foundation it's for charity yeah absolutely there's lots of ways to
0: spin this one for sure all right thank you sarah Well, thank you guys for having me, and thank you for what you're doing with all of this. I I love it. Thank you for joining us on Barnyard Language. If you enjoy the show, we encourage you to support us by becoming a patron. Go to www.patreon.com backslash barnyard language to make a small monthly donation to help cover the costs of making this show. Please rate and review the podcast and follow the show so you never miss an episode. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok as Barnyard Language, and on Twitter, we are Barnyard Pod. If you want to connect with other farming families, you can join our private Barnyard Language Facebook group.
1: We are always in search of guests for the podcast. If you or someone you know would like to chat with us, please get in touch. We are a proud member of the Positively Farming Media Podcast Network.